You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. So here's the thought this morning about kids. Kids are like sponges. You know what I mean? They soak up everything. And not always the stuff you want them to soak up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you, you, ever had the, you ever got embarrassed at something that your kid did or said, and then you realize where they learned it from? <laughs> yeah, and then you got embarrassed for yourself as well? Right. Okay, this is a serious thing. Let me show you how serious it is. Uh, G, these are the words of Jesus, and I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, let's jump to that, okay? As Christians, sometimes we remember to do what is right because we know someone is following us. Here's what Jesus says about it. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff for a Sunday morning, isn't it? You know, but this is how Jesus sees all of those out there. And, and you know, those, those little ones, those who believe in Jesus. You know, and, and, and Jesus tells us, and we got, I don't know if we'll get to that scripture today or not, but Jesus tells us that we have to, we have to be like little children. Come, Little children have this faith in Jesus. And, and so all, all of those out there that are younger than us, we have that responsibility. Back up to that slide that I skipped, if you will, Tommy. Thank you for uh, bullet up reminding me. Which kids are learning from me? My own kids and grandkids, younger siblings and cousins, nieces and nephews, neighborhood kids, even the kids around here that I'm not related to. Every one of them learn from me because they're watching me. 30-year-olds are watching me, not just because I'm pastor either, but 30-year-olds who are trying to be a Christian and 30-year-olds who are trying to find an excuse to not be a Christian are watching me. And 25-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 15-year-olds, they're watching us, looking for a reason to believe in this God that you and I say we believe in or for the excuse, oh yeah, I didn't believe they were really a Christian. Looking for that excuse to say, oh, it, ain't, it isn't real. It's just a Sunday morning hour and 15 minute thing. It's just, it's just an emotion that, that when the right song is sung, it's just that. They're soaking it up from us. Okay, every, sing, every single one of them, not just the ones in your family. So, so in case you thought I was just preaching to parents and grandparents, that's why I wanted to go back and read this with you, is I want you to get it that we're all responsible for the younger ones that are around us. Okay, now, but yeah, the, the responsibility is heavier on the, on the parents. And you know why? Because the parents also have the strongest ability, the, the greatest potential to actually mold and shape those children, to guide them in following Jesus Christ. You know, I, when, when I became a, became a youth pastor, now, when I grew up, I didn't have a youth pastor. Um, I, I, I had, had a couple of aunts that taught Sunday school and some things on Wednesday night. I had a couple of men that did some things. Uh, there, there, was a, there was a time that there was a, a lady that, that taught us on Wednesday night. We had a class, and it was kind of like a, a youth group. But I never had a youth pastor. So when I, I became a youth pastor, it was kind of new to me and the people around me in my circles. And, and I had the youth pastor. You know, one, of the, one of the struggles that I had as a youth pastor was, I'm going to be blunt here, okay? Can I be blunt? Just absolutely blunt. Is people would mess up their kids for about 12 years and they want to dump them on me to fix them. 
Amen or oh me. Amen? And understand, it is our responsibility. And you're the parents. You know, I'm grandparents. I got six grandkids. Man, I'm, I'm all over wanting them. There's something very heavy on my heart. I'm praying right now over one of my grandkids. You know, but, but I understand. I am not the one that has the greatest potential. The parents, my kids, my kids, they have the greatest responsibility and the greatest potential. And, and we have to embrace that and understand that. So how, how, do, how do we teach these kids the right stuff? Glad you asked. Deuteronomy. This is, this is Old Testament, right? Now, see, some people think when you start reading Old Testament, some people say, well, that doesn't apply to me. When I read Old Testament, you know what that tells me? This has been around a long time. This is even pre-Christianity. This is before Jesus actually came and he took the, took the law of the Old Testament. He didn't do, do away with it, but he perfected it or he finished it or he completed it so that you and I wouldn't just have the law. We'd have the, the better, all of it. So this has been around a long time. Here's what God says. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Just a couple of weeks ago, Kristen, our daughter, said that her nine-year-old son, my grandson, Colin, he told her that they probably didn't have to do devotions anymore because he knew all those stories now in the Bible, right? And she said, so then I had to tell him a few that he didn't know. She said, which is a mistake with Colin because then you have to play 20 questions about every one of those things that she knew, and it went on and on and on. And I said, yeah, you probably should have, you know, let, probably should have given him one a day or something so you could have, okay, but... Talk of them over and over again. Sometimes we, we get that attitude, don't we? I've already heard this. I don't need to hear it again. Yeah, you do. You know, you know remember the story? Young preacher goes to his first church. He preaches a sermon. The next Sunday, everybody thinks it's great. Preaches the next, next Sunday the same sermon. Preaches the next, uh, next Sunday, preaches the same sermon. And after about four or five of those, the board calls him in and says, we, we need to talk to you. What, what, what is it? You keep preaching the same sermon. And, you know, are you going to preach something different? He said, yeah, as soon as y'all get this one, I'm going to go on to something else. Right? And, and sometimes we need to hear it over and over. God says, tell it to your children again and again. Now, again is a redundancy, and again and again is a double redundancy. So he's saying, be redundant. Say it over and over because we're a little thick-headed sometimes. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road. What, what, what does he mean? Does he mean just at home and just on the road? No, what's he saying here? Everywhere. Oh, when you are going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. Five chapters later, he kind of revisits this a little bit, and he says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. He says, wait a minute, even God says it again and again, right? So we're supposed to say it again and again. You know, it, it used to bug me when I was a pastor that I would preach. When I was a young pastor, when I was a when, young pastor, and I, it used to bug me back when I would preach, and, and people didn't get everything that I said that Sunday. And that I had to say it again. And it, that, you've heard me say, that's why I'm not gifted as a counselor. Because I tell you to try something, and uh, next time we meet, you hadn't tried it. I'm like, I ain't got anything to share with you. You know, try that. Try that. When you try that. But we have to say it over and over because we don't get it. We are thick-headed. Even God knows that about us. So he didn't say it once. He said it twice. And he said it in other ways, different times. There are three things right there in those verses I want to point out to you, okay? Next slide. Is 
Take advantage of every opportunity. At home, on the road, when you're laying down, when you're getting up, take advantage of every opportunity. Put them on the walls. You, most of you, many of you probably, have scripture somewhere in your house. Hanging on a wall. Maybe a Bible, actually. That's good, too, hopefully. You've got that. But you got, you got those scriptures on the wall. Maybe you got a bumper sticker, whatever. Take advantage of every opportunity. Realize you are teaching all the time. Even when you don't mean to be, you are still teaching. Even when you are tired and you take a day off from being the man or the woman you're supposed to be, you're teaching your kids and those other ones that are watching you. You're teaching them something. You are teaching all the time. I know Charles Barkley got, well, he's famous for a lot of things. One of the things he got famous for was saying, I am not a role model. Yes, you are. You are. You don't have to be an NBA star to be a role model. Every one of you is a role model for the people who are younger than you in this world. They're watching you in some way. So understand that you are teaching all the time and be aware and careful to teach right things because sometimes we're teaching the wrong things. Let's talk about that a minute, can we? Let's talk about what kids learn from us. And let's start with the negatives. Don't you, you like to get the bad news out of the way? That's well. I, I, tell me the bad news first, then let's go to the good news, right? That, that's the way I am. I, I want to hear the bad news first. Let's get it out of the way, and let, then let's get to the good news. So here's, here's the bad news. What kids learn from us? They learn how to swear, gossip, and be critical, right? I mean, they don't make up the cuss words on their own. They learned them somewhere. And gossip, being critical, having a critical spirit. I mean, there's that, that long poem, and I've used it before, and you've heard it also, a little thing about when, when kids learn or live with criticism, they learn to be critical. They learned this from us. So let's be, let's be careful. What do kids learn from? They learn dishonesty. They learn how to lie. They learn how to cheat. They watch us do it, and, and if, here's a couple points for you. When we lie to our kids, they learn to not trust us or anyone else. When we lie to them, then they know that well, mom and dad can't be trusted. Granddad can't be trusted. Uncle so-and-so can't be trusted. My friend can't be trusted. My, my teacher, if she lies to me, she can't be trusted. That's what they learn. And when we lie in front of our kids, they learn that truth mm, is situational, and it isn't. But that's what they learn. They learn that truth is situational. That if you get in a bind, it's okay to tell a lie to get out of the bind when we lie in front of our kids. And, and this was not in my original notes, but this happened right in front of my eyes not too long ago when I watched, some, I watched a kid watching their parent tell a lie, and I was seeing the wheels turning in that kid's mind as they were listening to their parents say something to someone else that that kid knew was just a bold lie. And I thought, i got to throw that in there. When we lie in front of our kids, we teach them that truth is situational. Let me give, let me give you a story in the Bible. And uh, the, you can read the story for yourself. If you go to the Connect page that Lexi was talking about earlier, click on the link to the Scriptures. It'll take you right there. Abraham, uh, one time when, when there was a famine and uh, he was going to Egypt, God said, no, don't go to Egypt. Just go over here to the, the Philistines, and I'm going to take care of you there. So he gets there, and, and he's worried because his wife Sarah is, Good looking, you know, and, and he's worried that, that someone will kill him so they can have Sarah. So you know what he does? He says, well, she's just my sister. 
Now, that don't compute to me. That sounds stupid. I'm, you know, I, I'm worried they're going to kill me so they can have her. I'm just going to say she's my sister, so maybe they'll just take her anyway and not kill me. I guess that's what he's thinking, right? Okay. And so he gets chastised. You know, the king, Abimelech, he actually is the one that takes Sarah and is thinking about making her his wife. And he says, why did you do this to me? Because he realizes God's punishment is about to come down on him. And so he, he says, why did you do this to me? And he, he says, get, get them out of here. He, he, he commands the, uh, the guards to send them away, make them go back to their home, get out of Felicia. They, they, they can't stay here anymore because he was about to bring God's judgment upon us. Guess who repeated that sin? Guess who repeated that lie? His son, Isaac. That one day, Isaac, when there was another famine, Isaac went down over to the, the area of Felicia. And when he got there, again, his wife, Rebecca, was real good looking. And he said, I'm going to tell him you're my sister. You know what? I'm, I know what he was thinking. He's thinking, my dad did this, and they didn't kill him, so I'm going to do it too. You see, when we tell lies, we're teaching our kids how to lie. It's going it's to come by. We're going to see it because of sowing and reaping. That's why we've got to be careful. Let me, come on to the third one. What kids learn from us? Inconsistency. Promise breaking and excuses. I mean, it's, it's funny for about five seconds when you hear your kid tell a, give an excuse that you use. And it's funny for about five seconds, isn't it? Until you realize what you've just done. Inconsistency. Promise breaking. We just sang a song about the promise keeper. And if we're supposed to be following him, if we're supposed to be Christ-like, if we've got to be promise keepers, thank God for parents who, who understand that. And, and the last of the negatives, the bad ones, is our attitude towards sin. That's what They learn our attitude towards sin. And normally, what normally happens is our kids receive the same, they, they, they create the same attitude towards sin that we have and that we show them. That's why we got to make sure our attitude towards sin is right. Now, sometimes kids break free from that. Thank God for that. That their parents are, are, are just outright raunch sinners, you know, going to do whatever comes to their mind, and kids break free from that. Say, I don't want any of that. Thank God for those kids who are able to do that. But when we live that way in front of them, when we give them that attitude of sin, that just gives them more that they have to work out and work through. Because okay, let, me, let me give you an example. Remember that Abraham and Sarah thing I was telling you a few moments ago? Sarah did something. Sarah committed a sin. Sarah was promised, she and Abraham was promised to have a child, but she couldn't get pregnant. And so she decided she'd help God out. That's the way I've always heard my preachers say it. She was going to help God out. You know, that God needed her help because God said, you're going to have a child. And look how old I am. I, I, I'm never going to have a child now, so I'm, I, I guess God's waiting on me to help him out. So she took Hagar, her, her handmaiden, and she went to Abraham. She said, look, I can't give you any kids, but God says, we're going to have a kid. So here, take my hand, and, and you have sex with her, and, and you have a kid, and she'll raise up a kid to us. And I don't know if you know the story or what, but we are still dealing with the fallout today from that sin. <laughs> and, not, and not because that was a bad person. Forget that. Not talking about that, that baby that was born was a bad person, but because of sin. See, that's what we do sometimes is we want to point our fingers at people and say it's because of them. No, it's not because of them. It's because of the sin. And many times it's because of the sin in my life that causes somebody to do something to me. And it wasn't their fault. It was the sin in my life. And guess what happened? Two generations later, her grandson's wife repeated the sin. Her grandson Jacob 
married a beautiful, another beautiful woman. Man, there must have been some beautiful women in the Old Testament, right? Abraham, that's what he taught his family, I guess, taught his boys. Rachel could not have kids. She, was, she couldn't get pregnant. She couldn't get pregnant. And what did she do? She took her handmaiden to Jacob and said, here, sleep with her, and she'll raise up kids for us, for me. And here's the interesting part, the scary part, is I told you it was a grandson, right? Grandson. She wasn't alive. She wasn't in the picture when that sin originally happened, when Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. She was not alive. She was not in the picture. But two generations later, she repeats the sin of her husband's grandmother. You say, was that coincidence? Absolutely not. She knew there was another woman over there. She knew there was another kid over there. She knew there was another, another family, separate family, that was being raised. And she just repeated what she knew had happened in the family before. That's scary, guys. It's for us to realize, oh, God, don't, don't let my sowing come back as weeds in the garden that is my family. That's a scary thing. And I, I didn't know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this. I'm going to skip one because I just... just just want to hurry right here and let's talk so these are the negatives, right let's talk about the positives that our kids can learn from us okay and uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go this slow with them let's go to the next slide but here here's some of the things that they learn from us they learn how to cope let me tell you a story tell you another story I, I can give you an I can give you a, an exact definitive example of when this happened but it happened more than once but I can tell you about a day that I remember. I can draw you a picture of the room that we were in. And I remember, I remember my dad being under such pressure from pastoring. I remember everything crashing down on top of him. I remember lies. I remember backbiting and gossip that was told about him, maybe about the rest of us too, I don't know, and how he was really under attack. I remember my dad crying that day and I don't remember my dad crying a lot but I remember my dad crying that day but you know what I also remember I remember my dad didn't walk out the door and go down the street and buy a six-pack I remember my dad didn't pick up the phone and call the state overseer and say I'm done here's my license this is over I'm not doing it anymore I remember my dad studying to preach for the next Sunday. I remember my dad getting us up on Sunday morning, putting us in the car and us driving so that he could preach to those people that were doing him wrong. I learned, at least partly I know, how to cope from watching my dad. And that's going to happen with you also. It's going to happen with your kids. They're going to learn how to cope. They're going to learn how to hang in there. They're going to learn how to not give up. They're going to learn how to say, this is more important than all the attacks that is coming against me. Eternity for these souls is more important and hanging in there and doing what is right, no matter how it feels. They learn how to keep their word. If you don't keep your word, your kids are probably going to keep their word. You're teaching them that. They learn how to solve problems. They learn how to keep a positive attitude. They learn how to treat others. They learn how to empathize with others. I mean, if you're not an empathy person, your kids probably won't be either. You know, maybe you'll raise one, but they're going to learn how to empathize mostly from you. And they learn how to value others. They learn how to value others. Or flip side of that, they learn how to devalue others. That there's a lot of 
There's a lot of hurt. And I didn't know if I was going to say this. It's in my notes and going through my sermon this several times this week. And sometimes I'd skip it. It wouldn't come to my mind, but it came to my mind. So I, I feel like God wants me to share this here. And thank, I'm, I thank you, God, because I might not be back here for a long time, so I might not get to share this. But I hear people all the time now talking about their kids and about how one is the favorite. And I was, <coughs> the only times I see that in the Bible, it was a mess. Every time dad or mom had a favorite, go back to Jacob again. That Jacob and Esau thing, it was a mess over and over. Every single time. Joseph, that too many colors, you know why he got it? Because he was a favorite. You know what happened to him if you don't read up on it? Man, his, his brothers decided they'd kill him every time. So let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Don't fall into this trap that people say, because you treat your kids differently, and your kids will tell you this, because you treat them differently, they're your favorite and I'm not. Don't listen to other people tell you that either. Your kids are different. I was just having this conversation with, with, with uh, Dylan just a, just a little bit ago. And how he's got a son, but he's about to have a daughter. He's going to be different. You can't treat that kid that, you know, you know, wants to climb trees and shoot guns. You can't treat that kid the same as the one who wants to cuddle with baby dolls, you know, and, and have stuffed animals. You can't treat them the same. You know, our grandkids, we've got one that's an 11-year-old young adult. Think about that for a minute. You'll get it, all right? She's an 11-year-old young adult. And we got one that's a builder. And uh, we got one that's motherly, taking care of everybody and everything. And we got one that's an explorer. Keep your eye on this one. And we got, we got one that's a cuddler. And we got one that makes you work for it. <laughs> yeah. And I know some of you are trying to figure out, wait a minute, this one is this one. I know his grandkids. This one is this one. This one is a... Guess what? You can't treat them all the same way. The cuddler crawl up in your lap. The explorer, he, he, he don't want any of that. I'm, I might be falling asleep here if I crawl up in your lap. You have to treat them all differently. That's not favoritism. Okay? So mom and dad, grandparents, if you're listening to me, I want to set you free from that. That's not favoritism. That's giving them what they need because of who they are. That's not favoritism. Now, if you buy one of them a car and one of them a bicycle, that might be favoritism. Okay? All right. Let's go on. Next slide. What kids learn from us? I'm, I'm hurrying right here. They, they learn humility. They learn priorities. They learn punctuality. Oh, please, somebody start teaching punctuality again. You know? They learn courtesy. They learn manners. If, if your kids don't have manners, don't blame the, don't blame the school. They're supposed, to learn, they're supposed to start learning manners before they ever get to school. They learn to say thank you. They learn to say I'm sorry. They learn what type friends to have in life. They learn what kind of spouse to pursue. If you were a part of Abraham's family, as we were saying, you're probably going to be looking for a good-looking woman. I mean, it seems like that's what it always was. But what kind of spouse to pursue? Think about this, guys. Think about this, ladies. Think about this, grandparents. We want them pursuing the right kind of spouse, whether it's a boy or girl. They're pursuing a wife or a husband, you know, we want them pursuing the right kind of spouse. Where are they going to learn that? Where are they going to, they're going to learn that from us. We want, they're going to learn to treat their future spouse with love and respect because you show love and respect. There's a flip side to that also, right? 
But we don't even want to talk about that. No, let's just do the love and respect. And they learn to treat their parents with love and respect. And parents, you, you get that right there? Oh, it's supposed to be an and in there. To treat their parents with love and respect. Parents, you do realize, right, that we're talking about you? That when you raise your kids and when they watch you loving and respecting your parents, they're going to learn how to treat you when you get old. Instead, you know, and think about just sticking you away in a nursing home somewhere, right? My, my wife's already had that conversation several times with the kids, right? That's how they, they're going to learn to treat and respect their parents, which is you. Which is you. Okay, last one of these long, long slides of all this. Here's what kids learn from us. They learn to cry, they learn to fight, and they learn to stand what they believe in when they watch you do it. I, I don't know that we always stand for the right thing, but when we, we do our best, they learn to stand for what they believe in. They learn to serve. Mm. How long has it been since the younger ones around you, whether they're your kids or somebody else's kids, how long has it been since they watched you serve? Serve someone. Do something which you will have uh, received nothing in return for. They learned that everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus, like we say around here all the time. They learned giving. <clears throat> it is not an accident. It is not an accident that me and my brothers give to missions, and the missions is a big part. It is not an accident. We learned it. We picked it up. Now, I, I, I remember my mom and dad ha getting some money one time, and, and they took it. I, and I remember they did this more than one time, but I remember this one time that they did, and they, they went and, and they built a church in another country. You know, you can do that. You can still do that today for under $10,000, that you can build a church in a, in a third world country. You say, if you, man, I want to do that, ask me. I'll, 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 help, I'll help you find the hookup on that, okay? No accident that me and my brothers are givers. We learned that. Kids learn to worship and give God credit. They learn how to pray. They, they don't just learn to pray, they learn how to pray. But they're going to learn to pray if you're a praying person. And they learn how to pray. And they learn to listen to and be obedient to God. And they learn to trust God, if you trust God. If, when, if whenever problems arise in your life, you immediately turn to everything but God, that's what they're going to do. But when they see that you're the one that, that digs down in prayer, i got to pray and i got to see what God wants to do here, then they're going to start doing that as well, and they're going to do that when they get older. One last, one last little thing. I wanted it on a separate slide. They learn whether Christianity is a matter of commitment or convenience. When we treat our Christianity like convenience, our kids learn to treat it that way also. When, our when we treat our Christianity as a commitment, then our kids will. Look around you and see. Watch. It's going to happen. Here, here's the sad thing. By the time you figure that out and you figure out you did it the wrong way, they're already going to be grown. You messed them up, right? Look around you. For adult examples, how did they get there? How did these people grow up to be such committed Christians and then look and see the other people that were in their life that led them to be committed in that same way? Let me let, let you in on a little secret, okay? Now, this is not, this don't help you. If you, if you don't care whether your kids are Christian or not, this ain't going to help you. But if you want your kids to grow up to be strong adult Christians, this will help you, okay? Next, that next little statement there. If you're leading your children and teens to follow Jesus, church reinforces what you're teaching. That's why you need them here. 
That's why you need them in teens on Wednesday night. That's why you need them up in kids' church right now. That's why you need them in small groups. That's why you need to get them connected. We used to talk about it every time the doors were open, you know. And sadly, the doors aren't open as much in the church as they used to be. So, you know, that's not enough. We've got to find some other ways. If you're leading your kids to be good, strong Christians, if you're leading them to follow Jesus, the church reinforces that. Then by all means, don't make this a matter of convenience. Make it a matter of commitment. Um, let, 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 me, let me give you a quote, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come to the front and close. Um, this is from Charles. Let me go and read the quote, and then I'll explain who, who George Whitfield is a little bit. Charles Spurgeon said, and who knows if she is not pressing to her bosom perhaps a Whitfield who will thunder out the gospel through the length and breadth of the land. He's talking about a woman taking her responsibility as a mother. You know, sometimes I think we want to, we want to raise the next Cam Newton in our, you know, in our homes, right? We want, we want to raise the next Tim Tebow or whatever. But Charles Spurgeon was talking about a woman who's looking at, looking at her child, holding that child close, and say, what if he will be the next great preacher? The next George Whitfield who, who founded the Methodist Church. I know you've heard about the Wesleys. Well, most of my studies say George Whitfield actually was a founder and he handed it off to the Wesleys because they all preached together and traveled together. Who knows? This is the next Whitfield. Who knows if this is the next Billy Graham? Who knows? Because mom, dad, you've got to keep that wonder about you and that hope about you that who knows if maybe this is who they are and who they will be. Because we have to keep that. And so, so, so what do we do? The first thing we have to do is lead, lead them to know Christ. And, and I, I, I paraphrase the scripture a lot. Let's put, we're going to put it on the screen today. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And I, I share it with you a lot, what it means to become a Christian. But you've heard me say this. If you've been here a, lo a long time, you've heard me say this enough, you probably can repeat it with me. That basically, to become a Christian, all you have to do is believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is and tell somebody. Here's the scripture. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, that, that's what that says. Is all you have to do is believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The son of God who died for my sin, got up on the third day, and then tell somebody about it. That's all it takes to be a, to be a Christian, to become, to, to become what we call saved. And why, why am I sharing this with you today? Because... The most important thing I think you can do for someone who is younger than you is to help them understand that if they don't yet know that. If it's the kids in your house, if it's the kids that you coach in little league football, baseball, soccer, whatever it is you coach, if it's the, if it's the ones that come to your house for piano lessons or what, the most important thing you could ever teach them is that truth right there. That all they need to do is believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And tell somebody about it. And so I share that with you today. It's real easy. Bookmark that. Bookmark it somehow. You know, it, it'd be nice to say, look, our pastor says, but it's more important to say, word of God says, all you have to do is believe Jesus is who he says he is. And tell somebody about it. That's all it takes. And we can, and we can raise kids who will fall in love with Jesus. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. 
If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.